This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is episode 119 of A Pot of Their Own. I am Allison McKaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Servich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. This week, it is our opening week extravaganza. <laughs> Yay! Woo! Yay! We are, we are recording this on Tuesday night, April 5th. Uh, opening day is just two days away at last. Um... But of course, opening day cannot come without its fair share of Mets. And mm. boy, has there been a lot of Mets. Oh, in the we've past got some week. Mets here, folks. Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, the Mets managed to, the Mets managed to peak Mets earlier and earlier each year, I feel like. It, we all like I feel like we need like an extra you, you know how we have leap year every four years I feel like we need to add a specific like leap day just for the Mets because every year it's a little earlier that they Mets so to reset the schedule every four years we got to add a leap day into the season what really stung about this one too was just the like the the incredibly rapid descent of like hmm DeGrom doesn't seem great and like, oh, he's going to be out for two months. But hey, don't we also have, and before we even finished that sentence, Scherzer and his stupid hamstring. Yeah. And like, oh. that was just, it was all very fast. I wasn't ready. I don't like it. Like, I, I know it. I should be excited, but it's just, it's hard. I'm, I'm not excited and I'm sad and I want to see Jake. And we were so excited talking to Liz about that Scherzer and Jake Sunday and how awesome it was and how just absolutely ridiculous they both looked. And then just like that, like we're Charlie Brown with the football uh, yet again. And I'm just, I'm so tired of it. I just, I want to be sad. <laughs> I know. Like, that they had they pitched in the same game and it was like oh like it was just such a representation of like everything that we had to be excited for and it's like oh we get to watch this for years and years it's like psych psych um like the one time i get my hopes up the one time never do it again the Mets have a chance and again why is the universe Lucy? I don't understand. What did we do to the universe? I do Why wonder what Brown? I do wonder what that stance did to deserve this because it's really, really bad. Um, so for those of you who aren't aware somehow um, of this, um, <laughs> for those of you who are not aware, turn it off now. <laughs> yeah, right. Go live in bliss. It's fine. It's all fine. Go forth and live we'll your life much happier. Your Without this knowledge, but um, Jacob deGrom, trigger warning, was diagnosed with a stress reaction in his scapula. 
Um, he felt- I was also diagnosed with a stress reaction in my brain. <laughs> I was diagnosed with a stress reaction in my soul. <laughs> in my soul, in my heart and in my soul. This whole team is a stress reaction. <laughs> um, and it was basically, he felt some tightness after playing catch, uh, like basically after that spring training game where he and Scherzer both pitched, he felt tightness playing catch. Um, and went for an MRI and this was the diagnosis. Uh, he's going to be shut down from, from throwing for four weeks. Um, and then obviously he will have to, even in the most optimistic scenario, and he's just shut down for four weeks. He still has to ramp up after that and has to ramp up without pain. Um, and so June 1st is the pretty much earliest optimistic return date at this point. Um, obviously this is, not great. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's, it goes without saying that this is not good. Um, it, it, it could have been worse. Um, I'll say that because, you know, anything with, elbow related would have been worse. Tommy yeah. John would have been worse shoulder. You know, you've got the like torn rotator cuff, the like, you know, the, all of that sort of stuff like that would have been worse. Um, this is the upside of this is that it's just, there's no like tendon sort of damage, but the downside of this is that there's no like surgical fix for this. The only like cure for this is rest. And the other pitchers that have had this problem have been very uneven with coming back from it and being the same guy afterwards. Now, Obviously, none of the pitchers that have had this before, and it's a fairly rare injury. It's not all that common. The other pitchers the that Mets have had special. this. Yeah, you know, Mets always have weird stuff that never happens to anyone else. Um, Harvey, TOS, also had this, by the way. Matt Harvey is a pitcher who has had this. This was post-TOS Harvey, I believe, though. And so, like, I don't think that his recovery can really be any sort of example um, because he was also dealing with the TOS at the same time. Um, and so the pitchers that have had this in the past, none of them have come back the same guy, but none of them are the caliber of pitcher that Jacob deGrom is. Uh, Michael Waka had this, both he and Harvey had roughly the same amount of time missed. They both went down in like kind of mid June and returned in like September. Um, so this is like a two months situation. Uh, more or less. And, but for what it's worth, Brandon McCarthy, who's the only pitcher that I know of, at least that has had this many times, like more than once um, has said, it's quote, not that big of a deal. And that like Jacob deGrom will be fine and it'll be fine. He just needs to rest. Uh, so take that for what Brandon it's worth. McCarthy has never steered me wrong in any way. So I'm going to take him on this. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, there was no indication of this during spring, I don't think. But at the same time, like, my antenna went up like, hmm, not having access to team doctors during the offseason probably wasn't a good thing. Maybe not. And the, it and the shortened spring. It definitely couldn't help, no. And the shortened spring with the faster ramp up. I mean, to me, I, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't know. To me, it's unclear how much of this is like related to his issues from last season, because a lot of his ailments last season were like mysterious and never really fully diagnosed. And maybe he was just feeling the beginnings of this and it never healed fully because even over the off season and he just never addressed it. And then he ramped up and all of a sudden it hurt again. And now we actually have a name for what's going on. Um, unclear, but it's possible it could have been unrelated, but 
I have a feeling that, you know, a guy who was out for half a year last year with like weird, like shoulder lat random back stuff just feels like it could have been this and it, they just didn't spot it last time. Um, yeah. I don't know. Or it just wasn't like big enough to see on the MRI yet. I don't know. Like, like how you spot this on a test exactly. Um, well, cause he said coming into spring his UCL was fine. Cause Sandy let it slip. It was the UCL last year. Right. So and he sat there and like tried to teach us about sprains and bruises bruises and like, oh, yeah. what a partial tear <laughs> a and bruise like, oh, is a tear a bruise <laughs> is a tear and like oh my god i remember that disaster um oh. and you know so there's the, there's kind of two things here one jacob de said that this as of right now this does not change his intention to opt out of the contract sure uh, thing jake which, you know, I mean, if he comes back in on June 1st and is Jacob deGrom from June 1st until the end of the season, then I think that that makes total sense that it wouldn't, you know, change his decision. But I think if he is out for longer than that or isn't quite Jacob deGrom when he comes back, then then his decision might change really quickly. So we'll see. As of right now, he's still <laughs> saying I'm still going to opt out. But that's, of course, what he's going to say. Um I mean, and the, the other big thing that comes from this is, of course, like, can the Mets weather this storm and can they still contend without him for half the season? Is that possible? Um, I've heard, you know, I don't know. I, I am of two minds about this. On one hand, to me, Jacob deGrom is the type of pitcher you can't replace. And I don't necessarily, I don't blame the Mets for this because for like not having a contingency plan, because how can you have a contingency plan for literally losing Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in baseball? He's not replaceable. They went out and got the best pitcher available, Max Scherzer, who is still on their team. Like they did everything they could. You could argue that they could have built more depth around the fringes or whatever, but this is your ace. This is not a replaceable entity. Yeah. There's no other Jacob deGrom out there to get. Right. They can't, they could, you could argue they didn't go out and get another pitcher after this. And we'll talk more about that later in the show. Uh, Cause they did try and decided not to, but like, you know, you can't replace Jacob deGrom. He's Jacob deGrom. Um, and so on that, like in, in that aspect, I'm pretty pessimistic now about this season because like you can't replace his production. Like now you're replacing all of Jacob deGrom starts with literally Tyler McGill. And that's like potentially like a four win swing on a team that was kind of like, you know, projected to be at the edges of like playoff contention to begin with like 93 ish wins per Pakoda, I think was the most recent projection I saw. And I can't remember that whether that was before or after the deGrom injury. So it's like, if you take, four wins or so away from that, then you're at like 89 wins and like barely a playoff contender. Um, So that's depressing. But on the other hand, you know, the Mets have a good baseball team and one player, even if it's your very best player, if you are a good baseball team for half a season, shouldn't, shouldn't turn you from, you know, NL East favorites to not making the playoffs. That shouldn't but it happen. did though. It last did, year. But, it did. but Francisco Lindor was also injured. Yeah. And and Francisco Lindor arguably being being injured has a greater impact than Jacob deGrom being injured because he plays every day. Yeah. But still, like and I know like they didn't have Scherzer last year and 
Taiwan Walker kind of fell apart down the down the stretch, and <laughs> a lot of stuff went wrong last year. And this is, in my opinion, like you know, and I'm talking about post Jacob Degrom being injured last year. This is a better team than that team was. I still think. I still wish they got another bat. Yeah, me too. So is it too late to, you know, go back to the 15-team playoff format that MLB proposed? Which the Mets didn't even make those playoffs either. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but it's it's tough. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. this, And this isn't an easy division. Um, the Braves arguably most... better. The, the Braves arguably mostly stood pat. Like, they... they they lost Freeman, but they gain Olsen, who's like almost Freeman level production, and and Acuna is going to come back, um, you know, and he was out for the most of last year. World Series, World Series champions, so like standing pat for them is fine. <laughs> different from the Mets yeah. standing pat, which they certainly did not, but like, yeah, maybe. right. Um, and so it was already projected to be a pretty tight race between the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies improved a lot, um, from where they were. I wouldn't say they improved as much as the Mets improved, but they improved a great deal. Um, their defense is going to be horrid. Um, their pitching staff is not that great. Um, and the but, bullpen with the old man with Familia in their bullpen all gone. Yeah. Bullpen centerpiece, Jerry's Familia. But if you ask them, Sir Anthony Dominguez is a star and Ranger Suarez is going to win the Cy Young or something. Um, but, (laughs) but their offense is no joke. Their offense is very, very good, probably better than the Mets offense on paper. Um, and so, you know, this is not a pushover division. Um, I mean, the Marlins are going to be the Marlins and they're going to be annoying. The nationals are theoretically bad and should come in last place. But this is not this is not going to be an easy division for the Mets to win, especially without Jacob Degrom. Um, it's rough. It's it's a huge blow. It's a huge blow. And you can't win in division in the season, beginning of the season, but you can lose it. Yep, is absolutely. the saying goes. And the twenty twenty one Mets partially proved that. I mean, actually, their record stayed above water, but they were not scoring at all, and it was only because they had Degrom at the beginning of the season, and their pitching staff was actually pitching well. That was when Taiwan Walker was, you know, an all star, and Marcus Stroman was doing his thing, um, and the pitching held it together enough that them not scoring was fine. Now one hopes that this offense is improved over that offense from last year and guys like Francisco Lindor won't hit 200 in, in April again. Um, I mean, if, if, you know, spring is any indicator at all, Francisco Lindor is having a fantastic spring training. So I don't know. I think this offense should be better. They should score more and they're going to have to now because the, the rotation is what it is um, right now. Um, they, but... But there are injuries to the offense now. Too. There, there are, there are. Um, and we oh, but cover also those. another one to the pitching, though. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. There, there, there are other issues that I that we will get to. None of them are as serious. One hopes as the Jacob Degrom issue. Right now, they are still pretty minor in comparison. But we'll see how things go as the season progresses to fix the, uh, not fix again, Jacob deGrom is not replaceable. One cannot simply fix this, but to help ameliorate the issue with the now vacant rotation spot or rotation spot being filled by Tyler McGill and other less than optimal options. Um, the Mets almost traded Dominic Smith 
to the San Diego Padres for Chris Paddock, Eric Hosmer, Oof. and Amelia Pugan. But they did not do that. That was like, it seemed to be like end stage negotiations. Like the full trade was leaked. Like the full trade was out there. Everyone knew what the trade was going to be. And it, the Mets just decided not to do the trade. And the leaks came mostly from the Padres side and made it seem like basically like the Padres had the trade out there and the Mets decided not to do it. Like it was the Mets that pulled out. Um, which, and this is now speculation on my part and not something that's confirmed in reports. And we may never find out if this is the case or not, but it seemed like the Mets wanted, did not actually want to take on Eric Hosmer in the trade. They were going to not pay the, the Padres were going to pay a lot of Eric Hosmer's salary, not all of it, but a lot of it. And I think that the Mets did not want to take on Hosmer period, any of his salary or him, the player, and I think they wanted to flip him promptly to someone else or make it a three-team trade in some way. And it did. It seemed like that part did not materialize, so the Mets decided not to do the trade. I mean, he's a terrible roster fit. Just terrible. Awful. Awful. Like, like it's, he's, it's, he's a worse Dominic Smith and more expensive Dominic Smith. That's what that's what this that's what this was confusing to me about this trade was that you're taking on Hosmer, who is. Even even with the salary the Padres were eating, he was still more expensive than Dominic Smith by a couple million dollars. Um, and he's worse than Dominic Smith. And and I mean, listen, Dominic Smith is a first base only guy in in reality. But the Mets are pretending he is an outfielder. You cannot pretend the Mets are Eric very Hosmer good at pretending first baseman can play the outfield. That They're is very good. Good. That is it's a tradition at this point. <laughs> it's a tradition. Um, and, and in spring worth noting, I mean, this isn't a first baseman, but they've played Jeff McNeil in the outfield a fair amount. I think that he is going to get more outfield reps than Dominic Smith. Thankfully, it seems like that's there. He's the first totem pole as far as like putting other guys in the outfield in their very thin outfield. Um, but, you know, Eric Hosmer is legit a first base only guy. So what are you going to do, DH Pete Alonso and stick Eric Hosmer at first base every day and infuriate one of your franchise players who worked so hard to learn first base and actually become good at it? Like, that sounds like a horrible idea. Well, also, like, just from a fan perspective, you were trading, like, somebody that everybody loves in Dom for two people that literally the entire hand base loathes like that hates. even hates like loathes entirely like, like just like my skin would crawl if these two were on the team and it's like just like could not like if you're talking about now that chase utley is retired if you're talking about active yes. players like these are two of the like public enemy number one players yeah. among mets fans um, yeah Hosmer, I would argue, I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on which fan you, you ask, but from a personal level, for me, it's Hosmer more than Paddock. I mean, the Paddock, like Pete Alonso spat was just like very petty and stupid. And I thought that Paddock came out of it looking very immature, but I don't necessarily like hate him. Like I could come to root for him if he was on my team and like, of, and like, you know, put that behind him. Eric Hosmer's face annoys me on a visceral level and brings back <laughs> horrific memories from 2015 that I don't want to relive. And he would be out there Ugh. every day. Oh, yeah. Just disgusting. Ugh. The, the yes, prospect no, of it. Nobody on a, needs that. 
on an aesthetic level is bad. And listen, like even looking objectively at Chris Paddock, who I don't like very much, but let's look at him objectively as a pitcher. He had one good season, his rookie season, in which he was very good. He has not been good since then at all. Um, now there has been chatter out there. There was chatter out there during when the when this trade was, you know, the rumors of this trade were ramping up that, you know, the Padres are not very good at like pitching development and are not very good at like optimizing potentially what Chris Paddock has to offer. And the Mets did the whole like we can fix him thing, which well, they kind of did with Lucchese last year. True. Um, I mean, I feel like the Mets have earned some amount of trust on their, like when I heard this deal, I wasn't thinking like, oh God, the Mets can't do anything with Paddock. I was thinking, okay, that's, that's probably okay. And then the rest of it was just like, oh, ooh, ah, oh, yucky. Yeah. And by all intents and purposes, like, everything I've heard about Hefner is he is a very good coach. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, that reasoning wasn't entirely flawed. Like, not like in years past where, like Maggie said, it's like, oh God, no, why? He's useless. But still, I'd rather not have Chris Paddock and Eric Hosmer on my team. It's just like <laughs> I would bad vomit. vibes. It's just a bad Yeah, just the vibes. Yes. Poor Emilio Pagan catching strays here. I, I <laughs> he's, fine. he's fine. Emilio Pagan, I, I'm not. <laughs> I have you no know, issues with, with, you. with you, Emilio. Um, but like, could the Mets have fixed Chris Paddock? Unclear to me. If to me, two things, to me, two things would have had to have happened to make this trade, you know, good on the Mets side and worth it. And, you know, there's, this could have happened. They would have a had to have found a partner for Eric Hosmer and flipped him to someone else and gotten something useful back. Um, and that potentially would have made this trade a lot better. Um, and they would have had to have at least not fixed Chris Paddock, but made him more, made him better than he is now. Um, if those two things came to pass, then it would have been a very good trade for the Mets. But neither of those things are a guarantee. And in fact, the Hosmer thing seemed to have not panned out. And that's partially why the Mets seem to have pulled out of this trade. And improving upon Chris Paddock is not a guarantee. And so I don't think it was a good idea. And I'm glad they didn't do it. Um, now, I mean, there Dominic Smith is actually like, I think everybody agrees. He's a very uniting player in the sense that everybody likes rooting for him. Like he's a very good guy to root for unlike Paddock and Hosmer. He's like a very, you know, likable player. I think that everybody agrees about that, but I feel like Mets Twitter is very polarized on whether he's actually good, like whether he's a good baseball player or not. Um, and I think that you just have to, go with the upside here. Hosmer has zero upside. He is what he is at this point. Whereas Dominic Smith has at least shown flashes of being a good player in the recent past. I mean, his 2020 season was very good. It was a small sample size because it was a pandemic shortened season. But if he can be that guy over the course of a whole season, that is a very good baseball player to have on your team. Very good. And he's young enough that it's not really like silly to think that he is likely to get better. And he's had a good spring training too, for what that's worth. Yeah. He looks great. He looks really good right now. So, um, and you know, of course there was like fake, like weird controversy. Like there always is with the Mets. Like when the Mets always like put out these weird, like quotes and leaks and stuff like that of like Dominic Smith wants to be an everyday player. He's not happy. It's like what baseball player doesn't want to be an everyday player. Like, of course he's going to say, like, I don't think he's like shitting on the Mets. Like people need to chill. (laughs) 
That seemed like such a non-story. I can yeah, even believe what people were talking about. Like, oh, local player wants to play. And yeah, I don't shot. think, yeah, I don't think Dominic Smith is a cancer in the clubhouse. Like, I, I don't think, it. yeah. Like, he's a member of the cookie club. He's very, very pure. Um, and yeah, I mean, of course he wants to play. And he, he even cleared it up later. They asked him about it and he's like, yeah, like I, I want to play, but like, I'm happy I'm a Met, like <laughs> to chill. <laughs> um, so, you know, but that's the trade that never was. Hopefully Dominic Smith is the next Wilmer Flores and goes on like a big redemption tour um, and becomes like this, you know, like hero of the 2022 season. That would be really great. Um, but the Mets did in fact make a trade. It wasn't that trade, but they made a trade, a lesser trade. <laughs> they uh, did a crosstown swap of bullpen arms with the Yankees. The Mets and the Yankees don't trade lefty very for often. Righty. Um, but yeah, it was a lefty for a righty. The Yankees had a surplus of lefties and the Mets desperately needed lefty bullpen help. The only lefty relievers in camp were Chase and Shreve, who's going to make the team probably, and Alex Claudio, who's probably not. Um, so they, uh, traded Miguel Castro, um, for, to the Yankees for, uh, Jolie Rodriguez, um, who. Goodbye, Miguel Castro. We'll miss your dreadlocks and I your know. I know. I know. So I'm sad about this trade on a couple levels. I mean, like, it's not like, let's be real. It's not that big of a deal. Like it's fine. Whatever. Um, but. A, and they I, need lo- lefty. I loved Miguel Castro because he's like, he's Mets Orioles crossover content. He's my bird. Was boy. he your dude last year? He was my dude last year. Oh, oh, no. that's what I thought. He was mm. my dude last year. Oh, I'm sorry. So RIP my dude. Um, I was sad about that. Um, and like was alluded to, I am also very sad that the Yankees archaic, terrible hair policy forced Miguel Castro to shave his beard and cut off his dreadlocks. It's an absolute travesty. He looks like a completely different person. Like I would not have recognized him at all, at all. Um, And like, honestly, like besides being like kind of a bummer, like there's, there's a serious discussion and we don't really have time on this show because there's so much metzing happening to like talk about this at length, but there is a serious discussion to be had about, how much longer the Yankees can keep getting away with that policy, because not only is it like outdated, archaic, like pretty dumb, but it's like discriminatory at best. And like, well, it's illegal in New York state. (laughs) It's illegal in New York state. I mean, they wouldn't be able to actually enforce it. Like it. And I have no idea because like, I don't think anyone has defied it in like recent times. Um, Like I have no idea what the actual, like, consequences would be like I for all I know and like I'm not saying Miguel Castro should have like defied it because for all I know he doesn't really care and was happy to shave his beard and he did look happy in the picture I will give him he was was unrecognizable that was the only thing that that I could hold on to in that moment was that Um, he had a nice and for all I know he doesn't care and these other players haven't cared much but you know you're gonna have a player at some point who's gonna care a lot and like what what is the actual consequence going to be if a player just says screw you i'm not shaving my i'm not shaving my beard i'm not i'm not shaving my head like what what are they going to actually do bench him are they going to fine him I, I think fining him would be against the collective bargaining agreement so what are they going to do yeah, yeah. 
And like, yeah. And now that there are more, there are more and more laws on the books, including in New York state against discriminatory hair policy in workplaces, like, you know, and recognizing like how horribly racist it is, uh, because let's be real. It's the people of color that are being disproportionately affected by this. Not to say that, you know, the, the white dudes shouldn't be allowed to grow their hair out or grow beards, but like, it's, it's the people of color that are being disproportionately affected by this hair policy. Um, and it's, it's, it should be illegal. <laughs> and yet it, like, it just goes it on. is in New York. It, it is. And it just goes on. I don't get it. <laughs> like, I don't either. Like, why do the Yankees get away so- with this shit? And like you just posted, he was so happy he became an American citizen and he was looking forward to like spring training with the Mets and then they trade him. Like, oh, he was so happy. <laughs> I know. Very sad. Yeah. Um, oh, we'll miss I'll you, miss Miguel Castro. Yeah. Like when he was on, he was good. He just could, you know, be a little erratic at times. He had nasty stuff and had no idea where it was going. Um, and he was they- fun. He was a fun guy to watch. He was. And he suffered. I mean, he suffered a lot from the sticky stuff crackdown. And if you are a believer that, you know, he is not good and can't command his pitches without it, then, you know, then that is a that is a reason why, you know, him going elsewhere might be best for the team. Um, but you know, it's hard to say like how much he was really aided by that because it's all like, you know, hearsay at this point. Um, but you know, RIP Miguel Castro, I'm sad, but yeah. So, um, as we alluded to, um, other updates from camp, uh, such as they are, (laughs) there are other Uh. more minor injuries that the Mets have happening right now uh that are potentially concerning not at like you know defcon i don't actually know the defcon levels not at the same level of concern as jacob de grom is it like metscon at this point it is metscon metscon five like, i don't know i think it's also i think the if the defcon and then presumably the metscon i think it's also one of those things where like the lower number is worse yeah so, like think, you're like defcon five yeah. and you're like oh that's not so bad yeah, but I think that Death these Con are MetsCon 5. Like, oh, shit. Like, these are various MetsCon 5, whereas Jacob deGrom is MetsCon 1. Um, <laughs> so, Brandon Nimmo, yeah, that's um, fair. starting center fielder, <laughs> Brandon Nimmo, even though Starling, uh, the Mets acquired a, a, a center fielder to play right field, but that's another. The best guy. center fielder on the market. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> recently, like, I mean, the, the defense anyway, it's it, he hasn't been like, amazing the last year or two yeah it's it might be a wash um yeah they they like starling Marte's arm in right field and brandon nimmo does have a noodle arm to be fair um this is definitely true but i i don't know it it, they do have some flexibility to like mess around with the outfield alignment and i'd be in favor of doing that based on like matchups and stuff like that like oh what Mm -hmm. what pitcher are they playing behind is he a fly ball pitcher will will a lot of hitters hit it to right field or i'm fine with that um, yeah. but it's just, it's just on paper, like hilarious that the Mets acquired a center fielder and put him in right field. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this, the starting center fielder, Brandon Nimmo, um, who is made of paper mache, no offense, Brandon, um, especially got- his neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's just never been the same after that outfield collision with the wall that caused that, like that, like herniated disc he had in his neck. I think he's still dealing with the fallout from that. Um, he got a cortisone well, shot he played with it for a while. He didn't yeah, he like did. go right on the IL. 
Yeah, he yeah, no, did. he played with that for a while and was terrible. Yeah, he like uh, basically couldn't turn his head. It was like really bad. Um, and so he he's been dealing with a stiff neck um during spring and he missed the last two spring training games and got a cortisone shot yesterday. Um, his current status for opening day is uncertain, but Buckshow Walter keeps saying same. that he hopes same. <laughs> Buckshow Walter keeps <laughs> saying that he hopes that Brandon will be in the opening day lineup. So we'll see. Defcon, Defcon five or whatever, maybe four. I don't know. Um now, the other minor injury that is probably more minor than Brandon Nimmo's stiff neck, but yet causes more panic in my soul, is this is this Max Scherzer's <laughs> uh, hamstring problem. Um, yes. So right after the Jacob deGrom news, uh, we like, like was learned- it even a whole day? No, it no, was not. It, was, like, it hours- wasn't. It was like hours later. <laughs> Um, we learned that Max Scherzer has been dealing with like a hamstring thing because we, it was pretty much immediately because everyone was like, Oh, what's going to happen with opening day now? Like his opening day for Max Scherzer. And it was like, well, <laughs> funny you should ask because yeah, he was scratched from his like rehab start that day. And like, we don't know what's going on with Max Scherzer, but he was scratched. And then it's like, Oh, he was was scratched from it wasn't a full-on spring training game it was like a um an intra-squad yeah yeah. it was like an intra-squad I think it was minor league intra-squad game was supposed he was supposed to like have a tune-up because he was like basically ready um because he is insane he's been ready for a while because he's insane and threw like six innings at his first spring training start like an (laughs) insane person and so he like he was supposed to have like a little tune-up and then he got scratched from it and everyone was like what the hell and they were like oh he's dealing with a little bit of hamstring thing but it's fine it's all fine and everyone was like nothing is fine Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) this guy is falling but then uh he through a bullpen this morning and claims to be fine. And the Mets think he'll be ready to go for Friday's game. So game two, which would have been the original game he would have pitched if Jacob deGrom was, you know, in the rotation. So I think that they're just like, they're just not messing with his like schedule and preparation. They're just going to slot him in for the game that he was originally supposed to pitch anyway. Which is something they arguably, whether or not his hamstring was bulky, they may have wanted to make that call anyway right they may have done that anyway which I have no problem with like are the optics of Tyler McGill opening day starter not ideal Uh, yes but does it actually careful I made a little joke about Tyler McGill starting and people got very mad they thought I was like ragging on McGill and listen like, no, I like is this McGill. better or worse than opening day starter Dylan G like this yeah. feels on par with well, it and I certainly well, would not imply that it was I think it's more just like unexpected but I do want to make like an official statement that I hold nothing against Tyler McGill Tyler <laughs> I love McGill. that he's going to be a random Mets Jeopardy question good for him Tyler <laughs> McGill is fine and is fine to have as your like sixth seventh starter and did a perfectly fine job last year and was kind of gassed at the end and so had some bad starts but I think a lot of that was that he like blew past like the number of innings he had ever thrown in a single season in his career similar to Taiwan Walker although it wasn't career career for Taiwan Walker it was just like recent years um but I think just both of them were a little gassed at the end. Tyler McGill is fine. Like, it's fine. It's just like, he's just not Jacob DeGrom. Like, that's not an insult. I think that he would agree <laughs> if you asked him. Like, it's fine, you guys. Um, but yeah, as, as as funny as the 
optics of Tyler McGill opening day starter are like, you know, it doesn't actually matter who pitches opening day. You guys, it's just like a a thing that happens on paper. It's just, it's so messy. Like I'm in hell. I'm just, I'm really. It's a hard (laughs) way to start the year. Let me tell you that. It is tough. This is listen. I'm and optimistic. And especially when Buck Walter said, oh, we could do a bullpen game. It's like, no, take longer <laughs> on this. As, as pessimistic as I am about the prospects of the Mets contending over the course of this long season, given what they have already dealt with, I am optimistic about Tyler McGill's ability to beat Patrick Corbin on opening day, actually. J.D. <laughs> Davis better be in the lineup opening day. Oh, he, he owns Corbin. I, God, I forgot quiet. Corbin is their top starter right now yes wow yes Strasburg isn't ready yeah <laughs> yeah the the, the Patrick <sighs> Corbin is the Nats opening day starter so if you want to talk about if my man's could sorry just like, Walgreens fans yeah it's gonna be a rough one rough I just need JD to like just hit like three home runs off Corbin and I'll feel possible. a lot better about he life. might do it too he could he has it is possible <laughs> Um, but then knowing like, like the, the Mets, is, they'll play Cano and not JD. And... They might actually like I, I was telling Michael this and he was like, You're full of it. And I was like, I don't know, it's the Mets, buddy. Like I, I'm willing to we I might stake like a small like gentleman's bet on this and like be like, I will bet you two dollars. I think that they're gonna start Cano and JD Davis and sit Jeff McNeil. Ooh. Oh, that's a scandalous. Like that. I think that's what they're gonna do. I just think that's it's the Mets, and that's bold. what they're doing. Um, I, I like, kind of like it. I like, uh, I like going rogue like that. No, what I see happening is if Brandon Rimo, Nimmo isn't ready to go, they could put Cano at second, McNeil and left, and then have JD DH. Yeah, I think they might actually do that. Like this was when I t- when I said that to Michael. This was before Nimmo's neck was a problem. So, okay. So then that's fair. But now that Nimmo is, might not play. If Nimmo doesn't play, then McNeil's going to play because they don't have like a better player to play instead, unless Travis Jankowski starts on opening day. I don't know. I still can't believe they got that guy. Oh, anyway, Travis Jankowski is probably on the team. It's like unclear to me because they made two tweets that were seemingly contradictory about this. So now I'm like slightly confused about it, but this morning, the Mets had said that they were going to go with 14 pitchers on the 28 man roster to start the year. Recall that rosters will be 28 players in the month of April to compensate for the shorter spring training. So the Mets said this morning, we're going to go with 14 pitchers unless, you know, knock on wood Scherzer has a setback. Then they would add the extra pitcher at the expense of a position player. So then that made it seem like Travis Jankowski, who was kind of the guy on the bubble here, is going to make the roster and Alex Claudio, the reliever did not think it, it, it was clear this morning, but then they made another tweet about how like D- Jankowski's on the taxi squad. So then I don't know like what that roster spot is going to, if that's the case. So I was slightly confused by that, but we'll see what actually happens. I think Jankowski made the team. I don't, I don't know. Um, David I mean, this Peterson is, literally- is also on the taxi squad, like Jank- laying in wait. Jankowski is literally the guy who got tagged out at second base by the catcher with the yakety sax sound song playing. Yeah, he Why? is. Why? Why was he so, he's literally the dumbest human alive? But the Mets don't have any other outfielders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Their fourth outfielder is Jeff McNeil. 
I would take that. I would absolutely take that. Yeah, no, I mean, so would I. And I, I, I do think like McNeil is like, McNeil fourth outfielder with like JD Davis playing third or Robinson Cano playing second or some other scheme is, is higher on the totem pole of outcomes than Travis Jankowski playing, but the Mets need, they need another outfielder on the roster, like another primary outfielder on the roster. They don't have one. They Man, it's too bad. There aren't any free agents out there. <laughs> the outfield, but he, I mean, they won't, Give him a shot, though, Maggie. <laughs> not giving, <laughs> not giving the man a shot. But um, um. Anyway, yeah, it's also, a personal choice not to be on. Personal a choice right not to now. play baseball professionally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh God, I have a job. I have a job. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know. So. Other people on the bubble, like I mentioned, Chase and Shreve made the team, and now Chase and Chase and Shreve and Jolie Rodriguez are the two. Um, or I'm not sure if it's Jolie or Joelli. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Um, are the two lefties in the bullpen now? Um, and the other lefty <laughs> that might be on the pitching staff is David Peterson, who is flying north with the team, but it's unclear if he is on the taxi squad or part of the active roster, I think that that decision has not actually been made yet because they are waiting to announce who the actual opening day starter is. They haven't announced it as Tyler McGill yet. It's just that everyone thinks that that's probably what's going to happen. And I agree with that. I think Tyler McGill is the highest on the totem pole. I think the Mets are going to announce that, but they haven't actually done that yet. So David Peterson is going to be on the taxi squad probably, but he might be on the, roster if he is actually involved in opening day or some sort of piggyback situation i don't know so that's, that's like basically the i mean roster. they have to piggyback the first game because you can't yeah, you no can't do a bullpen out. game right out of the gate because then they don't have a day off until the following thursday i think you can't blow out your bullpen especially also, when noting the other starters are yeah, none of the other starters are stretched out either. So you're going to need the bullpen the rest of the week. So yeah. you can't, from like, from boob, from the opening gun, you're going to blow your bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, no, you have to, you have to have like a couple of guys who are going to anchor that game. Yeah. And I mean, the other, the other of the triumvirate of guys that were sort of being considered for this slot in the rotation that is now vacant because of Jacob DeGrom's injury was Trevor Williams, who I think is, he's going to make the team. Um, regardless of whether he gets he's part of that opening day start or not. Uh, he's going to make the team as the long man in the bullpen because he doesn't have options. So he's another guy that's going to potentially be involved in that game in some capacity, either like if Tyler McGill throws like four or five innings, maybe Trevor Williams will throw a couple innings after that or um, whatever else without blowing the whole bullpen out. <laughs> um <laughs> So and I don't I still don't trust their pen that much either. The pen, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I mean it's a little thin. It's yeah. a little thin. They have it's yeah. like that cute wrap dress that you bought online and you put it on, <laughs> you're like, it's a little thin. It's a little thin. <laughs> I mean, they're they need they would they don't need any like stiff breezes coming yeah. through. <laughs> stiff breezes. Maybe line being- it. <laughs> yeah yeah they could line it stiff breezes being like the the like 
whiff of Juan Soto's and Bryce Harper's bats. <laughs> like, um, I, I mean, a lot depends on whether Edwin Diaz is good uh, this year or not. Um, the questions we need to ask ourselves, folks, every year. <laughs> um, and because, like, you know, it's basically the pen was more or less fine last year, and this is more or less the same. I mean, I know we we traded Miguel Castro for Joely Rodriguez, um, but it's like more or less the same like level of guys in the same roles because you've still got Edwin Diaz as the closer, you've still got Trevor May as the setup man, same as last year. You've you've got Adam Ottavino now in the Jerry Familia role, um, and he more or less is the same as Jerry's Familia. And you've got Seth Lugo in also in that group of like late inning dudes. Um, And he was, you know, in the pen last year. And then you've got like your middle relievers. Um, It, the main thing, the main difference is that you don't have Aaron loop as your lefty. Instead you have like lesser guys that are not as good as him. So. Yeah. That's the, there's the rub. There's the rub. Yeah. There is always a rub, isn't there? Um, but uh, because the Mets segment was going to be depressing this week, um, I wanted to end it on a happy note and uh, have us pick our dudes for the 2022 season. Um, we This is now an annual tradition. We each pick a somewhat, you know, like, potentially underrated player um, that we think is going to make like a, an outsized contribution to the Mets this year might that, that might come from like a somewhat unexpected place. Um, so Maggie, who is your dude for this year? So my dude and um, wow, I'm about to look like a big jerk from the get-go because I still don't know how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Mark Kanha, Kanya? Canha. I think it's Canha. I think it's Canha. Canha. That's how Gary Cohen's been pronouncing it. So I trust Gary. All right. That's yeah. Mark Canha. Canha. I I still can't do it. My mouth stopped working, but in any case, so, um, the very first thing I learned about him is that he's a foodie and loves sandwiches. So right off the bat, I'm like, Ooh. Um, but then also just, you know, after the Mets had, had signed him, you know, I follow, a lot of fans of different teams on Twitter and just about every Cubs fan I followed just did not have enough nice things to say about him. Just that he's like this great guy to root for. And he seems super fun. And, you know, he's and it's that great kind of role where he's, you know, kind of the starting slash could be fourth outfielder in some arrangements. Um, And like, he's, you know, in the latter part of his career, but just seems like a good guy to have around the team, just primed to really have a solid season. Um, And yeah, so, and he likes sandwiches. I don't know. I don't know why I really kept talking after that part. That's the important thing. (laughs) Yeah. All the, um, all the A's fans who, cause the Mets have seemed to become like A's East now, cause they've gotten a bunch of guys from who were formerly on the A's, including Canna and, um, and Starling Marte and Chris Bassett, um, but all uh, and Starling Marte didn't spend that much time on the A's, but Bassett spent a lot of time on the A's, and so did Canha. Uh, and like they, they like had nothing but good things to say about like all those players, and they were sad to see them all go. And I mean, I would be depressed if I was a fan of a team that was trading all of its players. But anyway, yeah, it's not a good look. It is not. 
Um, Linda, we I think we all know who your dude is, but why don't you tell everyone? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe they've never listened to the show before. Maybe. So I was going to say, like, is a dude You're new the here. same thing as a man's or <laughs> man's and dudes different? Oh, boy. Ooh, that's a taxonomy. Question. That, question. That's a taxonomy. It might take a whole different episode to unpack. <laughs> because man's hands down is JD. I will die on the JD Hill every year until there is no more JD Hill to die on. Because <laughs> last year he hit, when healthy he hit. And, you know, even pinch hitting, he, he, he was phenomenal pinch hitting last year. But, you know, there was still some question as to whether, you know, he was ever fully healthy because he, he had surgery to fix like a torn tendon in his wrist or thumb, I think, or something, something in his hand. Um, so, and even in the spring, he had a couple big hits and like, he's always hit when he's been healthy. And he, I think that's a very valuable asset and I'm glad that they didn't treat him. And I would be sad because his goofiness brings me joy. Like that's all I have right now. Oh, no, Jake, I need the, the goofiness. But if we, if I really wanted to go in a totally direct new direction and if there is a different differentiation between man's and a dude, <laughs> I'm going to go completely out of left field on this one. And my dude is going to be chasing tree. <laughs> Girl, yes. All right. Speak your truth. Because, because in 2020, I randomly tweeted, maybe they should make the whole team out of tree. <laughs> I just want to keep reusing that tweet. <laughs> that I, is a very practical reason. And I approve. He might Thank be good. You. He might be good. Unclear. He's had a good spring. Yeah. I mean, the Mets fall into good lefties all the time. They don't keep them, but they like, oh crap, there's a lefty. Huh. He's this year's loop. We can hope. I mean, it'll be hard to top loop in the bush lights. Like, let's be clear. But like loop light, like, you know, he's like, you know, maybe not bush light, but like maybe like I don't drink beer, Allison. What's another light beer? <laughs> I mean, there are many. Know, let like, me go refer to the city field list of beers. <laughs> I'm tra- yeah, right. Um, I'm trying to like think of because like bush light be is like already- a bud light. Yeah, like a bud light because I was gonna say bush light is already pretty low on the pyramid of light <laughs> beers. Like even for light beers, like but I would say it's the bud light to the bush light. Okay. All right, so Jason Shreve won't be our Bud Light this year. If he's, like, really good, like, as good as Aaron Loop, we can upgrade him to Miller Light. Okay, all right, that's <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. Okay. When I am forced into <laughs> drinking light beer, which is, you know, a bad occasion for me at any time, um, it's Miller Light is my light beer of choice. Um, but I try not to drink so- light beer at all because it's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if that answers the question. No, <laughs> it, it absolutely and dudes. answers the question. I think it should be abundantly clear to anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> we can right. draw a diagram if there's we, any confusion. Yeah, we, we will. If Maybe on our next episode with video, we'll just like break out a whiteboard and do the taxonomy Ooh. of dudes versus mans.
Um, <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> anyway, um, before I get to my dude, I will speak on Kellyanne Healy's behalf um, because the original plan was to have all four of us on tonight, but she could not make it. So, but she does have a dude, and that was going to be the most important reason to have all of us here was because we were all picking our dudes. But Kellyanne did pick a dude, and her dude is indeed Tyler McGill, um, who we've already discussed at length. Um, but I mean, I, she's already right in the sense that he is already <laughs> slotted into a very important role on the team um, when potentially he wasn't going to be before Jacob deGrom went down. He was kind of like the sixth, seventh starter. Um, and now he might be the opening day starter. Um, so, you know, he was solid last season. Uh, I think that there's a lot to be said about like filling in competently while Jake is gone and just like putting fourth quality starts like for two months to keep the team, you know, above water. Um, I think that that would be, people would feel that Tyler McGill is more than admirable if he could do that, which is essentially what he did in the second half of last season. If he can just like do that again, I think that people would be more than happy with that. Um, Kellyanne also has two Tyler McGill t-shirts and wants to note that he's the tallest player on the roster, <laughs> which is surprising. I think that's to me. a very important, um, statistic and I say that as somebody who has never been the tallest person on any (laughs) any context whatsoever I am a long being so I can appreciate other long beings long beings I like I was surprised to learn my favorite I was surprised to learn that Tyler McGill was the tallest guy. I mean, I guess it's, it's not that surprising. It was David Peterson. No? It's not that surprising because pitchers are usually tall. Um, but I thought that Jake was the tallest, but I guess he's not. I mean, it was always Noah Syndergaard before, you know, before this year when Noah Syndergaard. All right, hold on. I'm going to look this up. Now. I thought it was um, David Peterson. All right, David Peterson is six foot six. Yeah, that's pretty big. tall. Is Tyler McGill that's pretty tall? Well, let's. I mean, is it because David Peterson hasn't officially been added? I to think the roster Ty- yet? David Peterson is technically not on the roster, so I think that she's uh, technically correct. Okay, and Tyler Mc- oh, Tyler McGill is six foot seven. Wow, oh. I did not know he was. So that there tall. we go. I guess I when pitchers so are standing next to other pitchers, you never realize how tall they actually are because everyone they're standing around is yeah. also tall. Well, also, like, I'm looking at his headshot right now. He doesn't have tall energy. No. He does like, you know, Dylan Batansis, when you see his picture, you're like, that dude is oh, tall. that dude is massive. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, like, Noah yeah. Syndergaard, you know he's got tall yes. energy. Yeah. I mean, there's a picture of me from spring training with uh, several years ago with Noah Syndergaard, and it's really annoying because it looks like a fake picture. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where'd you come up his ways? Um... I was, I was somewhat under his armpits. It also is very strange because I'm pregnant in the picture. And oh. so all of the proportions <laughs> just, are just, just very odd. <laughs> it's almost like, like fun house mirror, like, yes, but somehow we ended up in two with two different mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've never, I've never met a, pl- like, I've never stood next to a player, so I can't even imagine, like, yeah. how bad it would be, because I'm even shorter than Maggie, so. I stood next to a yeah. basketball player once, and. That must and have been wild. Kelly, it, yeah, he had a duck to walk in the door at Buffalo Wild Wings. I mean, we, place. you, like, Dylan Batansis is certainly, the, I think he's even taller than Noah Syndergaard. He, I think he's the tallest person I've ever been near. And, like, I walked up to him with the kids. It was not like that, that Mets players meet and greet thing before 2020. Fan and, fest. Um, and, yeah, and we were, and it was, which is amazing. But we were, like, so upset yeah, we were chatting because, like, 
he's from uptown. So kind of know the neighborhood. And as we're talking and getting ready for a picture, I am Googling how tall, <laughs> how tall Bat- is Dylan Batanzas. <laughs> Dylan Batanzas got signed, by the way, for those for those oh, he did. You, for those of you tracking like future Mets trivia questions. Dylan Batanzas did sign a minor league deal with the Dodgers today. Wild scenes. Mm. Um, I was kind yeah. of wondering, actually. Yeah, I think I hope he has a couple more years in him. That'd be nice. hero kind of guy. I want him to succeed. I think the tallest you know. person I've ever been near. So like one of my best friends, her husband is six foot seven. She's very tall. She's like five foot 11. Um, and so her husband is six foot seven. So I've stood next to him a fair amount of times and he, it, it's hilarious. Um, and it's the weirdest thing. I think, but I think the tallest person I've ever seen in real life, but I don't even really know him was, I was, I was at a wedding. I was in a wedding. Um, and I was like in the, I, I was the groom's friend and the bride's sister, her boyfriend like walked in and he had to duck. It was kind of like Linda where he like Linda's basketball player. We had to duck to, <laughs> to like walk in the door. This was at the rehearsal dinner before the wedding. And I just turned around and I saw this, like the largest man I've ever seen in real life. And I was like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he must have been. I, I think he got. A, he had to have been at least six eight. Like I think he was six foot eight. Like he was really tall. And it was hard to say because, like, I feel like the skinnier dudes always look even taller. And he, but he was also like very broad. Like he had a football player's build. Like he, like I, if he walked in and told mm-hmm. me he was a professional linebacker, I would not have questioned it. <laughs> like he was just the largest man I've ever seen, and I was like, wow. Well, the basketball player, like we ran into, it was a guy. He was on the Knicks. Like we don't follow basketball, so like I had to like sneak a picture and be like to tell my brother, I'm like, who is this? So it's Tyson Chandler, and we looked him up, and he's seven feet. Oh, and my friend, that is. That's insane. like he That's so literally scary. walked past my friend Heather to like go pick up his wings. I guess he put in an order and was just like walking in to like pick them up. And my friend Heather is four eleven, and he's seven foot. That's how tall I am. It was the funniest image I had in my head. And then she said a few, it was a couple months later, she, um, she did EMS and there was a big like EMS conference and wherever they were, the Knicks were staying in the same hotel and she got on the elevator with Tyson Chandler. (laughs) That's so funny. And she walks in and looks up and goes, yeah, you're tall. And then she said, like, all the basketball players around her just started laughing. Wow, that's really <laughs> funny. She, like, came up to, like, their waist. Yep, that would be me. That would literally be me yep, in that situation. Right. Um, anyway, my dude for this season, um, is Jeff McNeil. Um, I think that he is going to have a big time bounce back season. Um, and I'm here for Jeff McNeil redemption time. Um, I think that if Jeff McNeil can be the Jeff McNeil of old, um, and not the Jeff McNeil of 2021, that would make a huge difference, uh, to the Mets. And he's already looked a lot better in spring than he looked last year. So I am hoping that last year was a blip on the radar and that Jeff McNeil will get back to his old self. Um, cause that would be a huge boon to the team. So that's my dude. And no year. more raccoons in the, in the dugout. Please. No more raccoons. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> just say no to raccoons. <laughs> yes. I was talking to my dad about this recently. Um, and, or I was either talking to my dad or Michael or both of them at the same time. I can't remember. Um, and we were talking about how we think that like Robinson Cano's actual physical presence with the team 
might make a huge difference in that regard with like the clubhouse chemistry, um, and sort of like bridging the gap between like kind of the Lindor click and the McNeil click. (laughs) Um, I I think that like, you know, I think that it it does make a difference. Um, cause I think that Lindor respects Robinson Cano a lot. Um, and I think Robinson Cano gets along with like pretty much everybody. Um, so I think that that like is going to make a difference. Um, to the, t- to the and team's, he was like, that chemistry. leadership voice that was missing last year. Like, I don't I know, agree. like, I don't know if they, like, if he still has the same weight because of, you know, the suspension and stuff. So I don't know how he's going to be perceived or if his image has been damaged with his teammates in that way. But I mean, he definitely was respected um, before that in 2019 and they were good in 2019. I think it was because they had that leadership to like kind of guide them. Yeah. And, and obviously on the pitching side, like, you know, Jake was always like kind of the lead by example type. And now they have Max Scherzer who like is more of, I mean, he leads by example too. He's a very good pitcher, obviously, but he like, he's a very vocal, like clubhouse leader also. So I think that having him, yeah, he's someone who steps in, who like happily takes on an active leadership role. Yeah. Like that's that's not what his personality is. That's not Jacob deGrom's comfort zone, like at all. So yeah, Um, he's just there to pitch and, you know, he performs a leadership function by existing and being amazing and everybody around him just wanting to do what they can to be a part of that. And that's great, but that is very different from like actively stepping into a role. Yeah. Well, bless his heart. I think Jake tried, like, remember, after Vargas tried to fight Tim Healy, like oh Jake God, was like yeah. was the only person to like publicly apologize for what happened. Oh, like, I forgot that. <laughs> but like, like he tried, even though it had nothing to do with him. And but he just looked so uncomfortable. And it's like, yeah, that's not your forte. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um Anyway, uh, so <laughs> because the Mets did a lot of Metsing this week, it was a, a Mets heavy podcast, but there are a couple of um, baseball baseball wide updates uh, to discuss briefly. Um, one is about um, the conditions for minor league players, um, which is something that this podcast will continue to talk about until it is no longer an issue. Um, but, you know, things are improving. Um, the new policy guaranteeing housing for for players, which we talked about uh, at the end of last season, um, is in place, which is great. And several minor leaguers have already made positive tweets about their team's accommodations. I saw one tweet from uh, someone in the Cubs organization, um, like showing pictures of the apartment of his apartment and how happy he is. It's like a furnished apartment. And he's like, look how great it is. Um, and another similar tweet from an Orioles player being like, look at this. It's awesome. Um, so those things are great. Um, and it's really great progress. Um, but there are still some issues with the policy. Um, and one of them is that, um, there was a a report from uh, the associated press, um, that players with wives and children are not being taken into account in some cases because players were informed, like basically days before heading to their assigned teams, you know, like it's near the end of spring training, they're going to tell you like, you're going to high A, you're going to double A, you're going to triple A. Like they don't know where they're going. Um, they find out where they're going. Um, and then they find out that like, you know, at that team, 
um, the players are required to share apartments and in one case, even a bedroom with other players, which is obviously not conducive to like players who are married and have kids and like want their families there with them. Um, so one player even said in the article, we don't know if we're being forced to find housing on our own with no help, or if we're going to have to go months without seeing our wives and children. Um, so that's something that I think both of those options are bad and they should do something different. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That is my official opinion. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if like, it's hard to know like what the logistics of all of this are. And obviously like when it comes to costs, this is like a drop in the bucket and should have been done a long time ago. So like it should be relatively easy to just like find accommodations where like players with families get their, get their own space. Like it's not that difficult. Like, come on guys. Um, like I thought we were past the days of like players, like all piling on mattresses on the floor, like four to a bedroom sort of situation. Um, and I like, I will, like, I will give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt for now that this is going to be something resolved quickly since they were very happy to get this PR win. Um, and it is cheap. And so I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that this won't be an ongoing story. Yeah. And like, you know, for the majority of players, what, what the, it has, what has been given to them is fine probably because a lot of these players are, you know, either single or like not traveling with their families or like, they just don't have like their families aren't with them, but like for some of them they are. And so they need to figure that out. Um, cause obviously a lot of these like minor leaguers tend to be on the younger side, but not all of them are, you've got, you know, career minor leaguers who some of them are in their thirties and they have a family. Um, so, you know, that that's an issue that needs to be worked out. Um, another separate issue, um, on the minor league side is that the advocates for minor leaguers who continues to do excellent work by the way, and you should give them money because like, I feel like, you know, a lot of people donated to them during the like peak of like my early years fighting for better conditions. And now I feel like people are like, that's not a problem anymore because it's like out of the public eye. But like the advocates for minor leaguers still are working really, really hard to get better conditions for minor league players and better pay. Um, and that fight continues. So you should continue to assist them in that fight if you are able to. Um They tweeted recently, the advocates for minor leaguers, that minor leaguers in the White Sox, Dodgers, and Nationals organization had to pay clubhouse dues, uh, despite the fact that MLB eliminated that in 2020. They they still had posted signs like in the clubhouse being like, we're collecting dues. Um, But since the advocates for minor leaguers tweeted that um, and, you know, spoke out about it, um, both the Dodgers and the Nationals have reimbursed their minor league players for the clubhouse dues that they paid. And we're like, oh, that was just a mix up on our end. Sorry about that. Who knows if that's true? (laughs) But they at least fixed it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if the White Sox have done so also. It's just that the Dodgers and the Nationals were what were like stories that I saw that they had done that. Um, and I didn't see that for the White Sox, but that doesn't mean that they didn't. Um, so yeah, that's good. <laughs> the advocates for minor leaguers spoke out about something and it got fixed. So there you go. Good. Your pressure works or pressure works. shaming works. Uh, public shaming works. Um, so that's, that's the latest on the minor league side. Hopefully things continue to improve. Um, we also have updates on the Trevor Bauer situation, uh, which is always, you know, an ever evolving story all the time that never ends. Um, we have the Trevor Bauer hour, the Trevor Bauer hour. Oh, yikes. Um, so 30 seconds, but it feels like an hour. Yeah, really. 
Um, the latest is that Bauer has sued the athletic and former reporter uh, for the athletic Molly Knight for defamation. Um, the lawsuit accuses the athletic and Molly Knight of, quote, creating and spreading the false narrative that ba that Bauer had fractured a woman's skull during a sexual encounter. Um, and Bauer sued. Worth noting that Bauer did sue Deadspin also in early in March on like sort of similar grounds because Deadspin reported the same thing that like I think the reporting said like a CT scan indicated a skull fracture and that turned out to be like not entirely accurate and so now Bauer is like going after that one tiny detail in the report to sue them and saying like you have slandered my name and and created this like story that I didn't do these things but it's really just it's really focused on this like one specific detail that like was not I mean she she may have fractured her skull but like the the actual reporting seemed to indicate that that was like the case and it was not 100% clear from the medical but records. that's also like defamation lawsuits are largely ridiculous yes. and don't tend yeah. to get very far because it's really really hard to demonstrate that kind of thing so it's it's pretty much just your standard issue like way to Asshole. harass people and sit around and throw a fit um and also delay your own return to baseball because right, right. because he as long as there's like open legal cases he can't work with mlb on this to with for their investigation so he's just kind of wasting everyone's time yeah exactly picking on women what else exactly is new? This is why this is why um, Bauer's administrative leave keeps being extended, like sort of indefinitely the way it was at the end of last season, because at the end of last season, you know, there was still the open investigation on him by the police, by the Pasadena police. Now there's this open defamation lawsuit that he's doing. And so MLB can't move forward with its procedural process to decide whether to suspend him or not. So he keeps floating in this limbo and he's doing it on purpose. Like if he really, really wanted to put on a Dodgers uniform again and play baseball again, and he wanted, if he really truly wanted to put this whole thing behind him and, and do that, then he wouldn't be doing this. Instead, he's decided that his new thing is being a martyr. And like crying about how he's been canceled and silenced and all that stuff. Like that's his new, that's his new like life goal. He doesn't even care about being a baseball player anymore. He's like a grifter and like a right wing, like cancel culture is bad icon now. Like that's his new shtick. Like that's who he is now. Um, Like, so not only that, not only did he like do did he do this defamation lawsuit, which is probably going nowhere. He attempted to gain access to the phone records of his accuser, but a superior court judge ruled against him in that matter. So he won't have access to the phone records. But um, an attorney that they talked to for that story, um, the L.A. Times talked to um, said, quote, Trevor Bauer is sending a message. He is now going on the counterattack and he's going to try to turn the narrative around. So that's exactly what this is, right? This is him just trying to say, this woman's a liar. I've been unfairly maligned. I am a martyr. Like that, that's his whole like objective now um, is to make his accuser look like a liar and a, and a gold digger. And that's been his, his story the whole time. So. Well, and again, like anybody who like, thought that this was their golden boy like this was the future of baseball he was revolutionizing baseball like this is who you tied your horse to like are you proud of yourself yeah really 
Like everybody bears some responsibility in how he was treated and how it got to this point. And I don't think there was any like soul searching or apologies or like they, they helped create this monster. They gave him the attention. Now, you know, when he was suspended, he wasn't getting the attention he wanted. So now he's, you know, he needs that. And this is the way he's going to do it. And people are going to, you know, his little cult is going to, you know, lap it up and create this other monster now. So, you know, but, then, but nobody's going to bear any responsibility for that. Nope. Um, and this this move that he did to obtain the phone records was part of a bigger plan that he has to try to get uh, his attorney to get attorney's fees from his accuser. Um, and her attorneys, because they say her claims were made in bad faith and were based on lies. So he's trying to get money. He's trying to like get his attorney's fees paid for by his accuser. So like this whole, like suing the media for defamation thing is like a precursor to him going after the accuser herself. So it is like, it's, it's very sinister. It's not just like him going after the media and female journalists, which is bad in and of itself. Like this is the reason why this is exactly the reason why victims don't come forward, because not only are they, you know, publicly maligned in the court of public opinion. And you've got like Twitter bots out here calling her like a gold digger and a liar and, you know, a bitch, et cetera. You have literally Trevor Bauer with all of his money and power going after you and making you out to be a liar. It's 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 just not going to stop like. I mean, what's going to stop another baseball player from doing this? Like, he was never, he, he's going to get away with it. And, you know, nobody, like I said before, nobody's going to bear any responsibility for this monster that they created. And like other journalists, too. Like, are they going to get sued if they don't, like, if they publish something another baseball player doesn't like? Like, the precedent's really slippery slope now. And when they're, you know, again, like you said, with other victims, too, this is why they don't come forward. Yeah. And, and so it's just creating this worse and worse culture. Like, nothing's going to get better. Right. And even though, like, as Maggie said, this defamation lawsuit is likely going nowhere, worth noting that Molly Knight hasn't worked for the athletics since 2021. Like, this is, like, he's, like, dredging up this, like, old stuff. Like, she doesn't even work there anymore. <laughs> so this is, like, eh, anyway. It's not wasting any more breath on Trevor Bauer, but that's, I think, I think the reason that this is worth noting is like, it is important to emphasize that he does not care about playing anymore. Like the, the like small group of, I, I, sadly, it's not actually that small. The group of people who are still sticking by him and still, or like at best, just don't care about all of this and just want him to pitch for their baseball team because all they care about is that he's good at pitching. Like, I hate to break it to you, Trevor Bauer stands. He has no interest in pitching for your baseball team anymore. That's not what he's interested in. He doesn't care about that anymore. So I don't know what you're even getting out of it at this point. Like, what are you actually getting out of it as a fan? I don't know. It remains to be seen, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, we will end this show on a happier note with walk-off wins, like we do every week, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. I know Maggie has a really good walk-off win this week, so tell us all about it. 
So I, not only do I have a walk-off win this week, but it's like actually Mets related. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, representing Amazing Avenue, I had the opportunity to go to City Field for their um, annual press event where they, I mean, they're technically previewing all kinds of things, talking about like the events they're going to have and what new things they've added. You know, they have like lots of new screens. Be prepared for lots of screens. I don't know. It seemed fancy. Um, but the most important piece of all that is previewing the food. And they had this huge, very fancy setup of like tasting portions of new and notable dishes from new vendors, returning vendors. Um, and I got to eat a whole lot of that food and, um, and I got to write about it and I will, um, I'll link the piece when we post this tomorrow. Cause I think you can get, you can get the best of the best from there, but it was all just awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was a very like pushing myself outside my like mid to post pandemic comfort zone of like seeing humans and being capable of doing that in a non-weird manner. Um, so that was very exciting on a personal level was just not being too weird. Um, and the food was really good and I'm extremely excited. Um, I'll say my favorite thing that I had was the new fried chicken sandwich at Jacob's pickles, which somehow becomes my favorite fried chicken sandwich there out of the three that are excellent. Um, but it was like, it was on this super, super soft biscuit and the biscuit just like collapsed under the weight of the sandwich and the pickles. And my hands got all gross and sticky and I would eat 10 of them right now. (laughs) I want one so bad. Oh my God. They're so good. And they're not, and it's also unlike, unlike some of the other fried chicken sandwiches, it's actually not very spicy. And this is, that's kind of a break from tradition for me. I would like my entire mouth to just be burned to a crisp that I know Allison is not. So I am. And not so I thought she'd be very excited to hear that <laughs> it, is a, it is a mild, it is a mild, uh, seasoning blend. Mild and topped with pickles is exactly how I want my chicken sandwich. It's amazing. Huh? It's I not was- like, it's like a honey oh, fried chicken, yes. oh. sticky, a little sweet. Oh my God. Now um, you're talking. Which goes very it. well with the pickles. I don't know how it just does. And then that biscuit, I am like dreaming about that biscuit. So did they yeah, say where it was, was awesome. going to be? Like, where can we find it? At Jacob's Pickles. No, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't actually know what their, where their location is, but I, I want to say Jim Beam Highball Club. Okay. That's my, a lot of the good stuff is in the Jim Beam Highball Club. I've yeah, it is. Mm. You just sort of have to, that's how they get you. Yeah. Cause you do end up spending like the extra $10 ticket to be like right behind home plate and promenade or whatever to and get, get the, the access. access. But yeah, honestly for, for the food, I'll probably do it. It's worth it. it. Really it's, it's my favorite place to sit at city field and you get the bonus of getting the access to like the, some of the really good food and the beer. So I always, I always cop for those tickets because I think it's worth it. Yeah. Now, is it true they're also, I saw this on Twitter, and I wonder if you can confirm from somebody else who was there that day that they're opening in a women's dugout shop? They are. I didn't. Okay. I don't know anything about it. I don't okay. know like if there's going to be new or a broader array of merchandise, or if it's just sort of like condensing existing merchandise into one place. <laughs> okay. But I'm I'm open to whatever whatever they got there's like, also am I actually gonna have a selection of jerseys like yeah that like, could be a game changer 
choices. I am so tired of trying to purchase a jersey that I want that I was like, hey, sweetie, my birthday is coming up at the end of the month. This there is you the go. exact specification of jersey. <laughs> this is the phone number that Allison called to get her jersey. Yep. <laughs> I got my Max Scherzer. Please do not deviate from this. I got my Max Scherzer home blue jersey in women's sizes. It was great. Love it. Um, which I will be wearing on Friday, hopefully to still see Max Scherzer, even after all of this, (laughs) Max Scherzer is still lined up for Friday. And I, all I want in this world is for that to not be ruined. Like, please don't rain. Please don't rain. Give this to Allison. Let Allison have this. Please Please world. We have this. Yeah. Mets fans have so little. Please let me have this. You know, Lucy, don't pull back the football this time. Just I once. Begging. I am begging. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Linda Servich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, my walk-off win, um, well, uh, a couple weeks ago, like I said, I've been really stressed. And part of that was because my sister's full family got COVID. Oh, um, so the both my niece and nephew got my niece bought at home from school because of course they went maskless after winter break and of course people went away and everybody got COVID and that was that. Shocking. Um, so over the weekend was the first time I saw my niece and nephew since they'd gotten sick because now thankfully everybody's doing good, everybody's healthy, everybody's negative now, um, and thankfully they didn't get too bad because everybody was vaxxed except for my nephew who was four. So, and he would be five in May. So we got so close, so close. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I got to see the kids and because it was my brother-in-law's birthday. And so it, I was just, oh, it just felt so good to see them. Like it felt like forever since I'd seen them. And so, and, you know, to help with the quarantining, I gave my sister my Disney Plus password. And so like M was just <laughs> over the moon. And so we were talking about like Disney Plus and all the stuff she was watching. She'd been begging my sister to get um to get Disney Plus for so long. But um, so then I was like, you know, uh, you know, I know it's hard. So I just gave them my password and, you know, she, she created profiles for all of them right away. And she's like, I changed my profile picture every day. And um, so it was just, it was the best feeling to finally see them and spend time with them and know that they're okay. And so, yeah, that was my walk up win is getting to spend time with my, with my little guys. And of course, my, my sister and brother-in-law, too. <laughs> um, they're glad that everybody's good, healthy on the mend and I got to see them. So that was, that was a really good feeling last Sunday. So yeah, that's my walk up win. That's good. That's Yay. awesome. Um. My walk-off win for this week is that I ran the Cherry Blossom 10-miler in D.C. Um, on Sunday. Um, That's I ran amazing. It- Go, Allison. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I ran it with- Wait, you said 10-miler, not 10K? Yeah. 10-miler, yeah. 10-miler. <laughs> um, I ran it with um, a, a whole group of my friends ran it with me. Um, and this is my eighth Cherry Blossom 10 miler um, now. I've been running it like every year since, you know, 2014 or so. Um, but this year, uh, obviously, they didn't have it 
in 2020, they had like a virtual run, which I didn't end up doing, but my one friend did it. Um, and then in uh, 2021, usually the race is in April because it's supposed to coincide with the peak of the cherry blossoms. Um, but they delayed it in 2021 to September and I ran it in September. Um, and that was like my first race back from the pandemic. And I didn't really train that much for it. So it was like a big wake up call of like how out of shape I had gotten during COVID. Um, and I was kind of like having a bit of an identity crisis. Like, can I even consider myself a runner anymore? That was so horrible. And also in, in the September race, I fell down with 800 meters left. I like ate the pavement. Like I oh, no. just like wiped out. I tripped over a curb or something and like I I still have a scar on my knee from it like I was bleeding horribly and like I had half a mile left so I just like hobbled across the finish line to the medical tent and like it was just like a, a, a terrible experience and like it was the first race back from COVID and I was just like so demoralized after that that I was like do I even want to do this anymore I've been a runner for so long but I don't love it anymore like I kind of had like a come to Jesus moment where like I wasn't sure if I was like if I really enjoyed running anymore, which is something that I've enjoyed my whole life. Um, but then for this April race, I like actually trained, <laughs> I like put together a training plan. I was like, all right, put on your big girl panties and actually train for this. Uh, so I like put together a training plan. I, I did it. And like, I didn't run it as fast as I like used to run back when I was like in like fully in shape, but like I beat my September time where I fell down by like over 20 minutes. And it, it like, it was like a respectable time for me. And I was just like, all right, like I've still got it. Like I can still do this. And so like that made me really happy. And all my friends like all had really a really good race. Um, and like, we're all really happy with their time. So like everybody had a really good day. The racing conditions were like ideal. It was like high forties, low fifties and sunny, um, like, a, like with a light breeze, which is like perfect for running. Um, it was like really nice weather. The blossoms weren't in peak, but they were still like out. So it was like very pretty on the tidal basin. Um, and stuff. Yeah, so it was just really, really lovely. nice that you posted. Yeah. Those cherry blossoms look nice. Yeah. Um, so it was like a lovely, it was just a lovely run. Um, and kind of like made me realize that like, I do still like running. I just needed to get back into the swing of things. And like, you know, it made me fall back in love with running again. So I'm happy about that. Um, so that's my walk-off win. For this oh, I love that. Yeah. I was very jealous of your, your cherry blossom run. It looked, it looked really pretty. Yeah, it's a gorgeous I I for any runner out there who may not be like local to this area, who may not like find a reason to be down in DC all that often for things, I really really recommend this race. Um 10 mi- 10 miles is like not a distance you find all that often. There aren't that many 10-mile races. Um and so like it's unique in that way and also it's just like the prettiest course that you could ever run on. Um, and it's all flat, blessedly flat. There are no hills on this course. <laughs> um, so if you want to PR your 10 mile, this is like a really good opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend it. You have to enter a lottery. So it's not guaranteed that you'll get entry into the race because it's so popular. Um, and they cap it at a certain number of runners. Um, but it's, it's, if you can get the opportunity to do it, I highly recommend it. It's always like the first Sunday in April every year. And it's just a lovely race. Um, lots of crowd support. People always come out and cheer really loud. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really nice experience. 
Um, and like one, it's like one of my favorite things about now being a DC resident is that I don't even have to travel to, to do this race. I can just sleep in my own bed the night before, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) yeah, I, I, I really do recommend the cherry blossom time miler to anyone who, who is a runner or has been thinking about, you know, stretching out their distance a little more. Um, it's, it's a great race. It's, it's so fun. I really recommend it. Um, Anyway, that does it for the show this week. Um, oh, wait, we forgot to mention that Todd Frazier announced retirement. Oh, that's right. Oh, Let's I shout out to Todd. That. Yeah. He did. God bless Todd. Pride of Tom's River. Yeah. The pride of Tom's River, New Jersey. Player. Todd Frazier. I will never forget his Homer player. off Sean Doolittle. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> Um, I was there. I was there. It was incredible. I will hold that very special in my heart. Yeah. Always, always. Um, I'll never forget that. Um, so yeah, Todd Frazier, the, the most fun, the most fun and the most New Jersey. And for that, I will be very aggressively New Jersey, very aggressively New Jersey. Best wishes with his Turkey problem too. Yes, best wishes with this turkey problem. Now he can dedicate all of his time to solving the turkey <laughs> problem. So here's to Todd Frazier. Um, and on that note, uh, that does it for the show this week. Uh, you should check us out on AmazingAvenue.com. We have so, so much content for you this week for opening week. We're, we've been doing like multiple season previews every day, really loading it up in this last week of spring training. Um, so you can check all of those out. In addition to, um, we will start ramping up our regular season content. We'll have game threads every day. We'll still have your morning news posts every day as always. We'll have game recap caps for you for every game um i'll have i'll start having the meters for you every week like i always do both pitching and position players um i'm posting the king of spring training poll tomorrow um i did a reduced version of it this year uh since spring training was shortened but we'll still have the king of spring training that post will go up tomorrow uh so just a ton of content for you guys um, you can check all that out over at AmazingAvenue.com and you can follow Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Cerovich. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. Please follow the show and all of us on Twitter. Um, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from and rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting.